0: Welcome again to uh, Wildwood. I'm so thankful that you're here today. And we get to get some money advice from Jesus, not the person maybe we typically turn to. But first, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate each and every one of you. Those who've joined us online, thank you for being here as well. And again, if you're new... If this is your first time with us, we really want to be able to connect with you and let you know more about our church family, so you can text that word WELCOME to the number 636-206-8654. It's also on the back of your seat, and then if you want the program for today or the link to the YouVersion app so you can follow along, it's on the back there, the QR code there on the back. Um, those of you who are online, you can follow along there with the Scripture and the Bible tab. So I've made a lot of dumb money mistakes in my life. I've shared some of those through the years. Bought that dumb vacuum cleaner, you know, the salesman came to your door and convinced you it was the greatest thing in the world. Uh, I bought uh, a Charles Given financial plan one time. That one took me six months before I told my wife that I had done that stupid thing. Um, we have used money from our retirement to make a down payment in a house and then never put it back in. I mean, we've bought this vacation plan thing one time that was the greatest thing in the world, you know, never took a vacation with that. I, we've just, I've done a lot of dumb things with my money. And so I kind of thought it would be fun today for those of us who are present. I'm going to get a mic out here and put it on a stand right here in the front. And we're going to one at a time just come up and we're going to share our dumbest money choices that we've made. Those of you who are online are thinking, I'm so glad I stayed online today, Right. <laughs> Now, I won't make you do that, but we've all done dumb with our money, haven't we? I mean, we could share it. Some things we don't mind sharing, some things we think. I'm never going to tell anybody about that at all. Why do we do dumb with our money? Well, it's because we're listening to the wrong person, right? And that wrong person most of the time tends to be what? The person in the mirror, right? It tends to be me, my needs and what I want and what I think is best at that particular moment. You know, we just kind of tend to do that. But what if... Somebody came along and didn't have any money at stake in the matter, right? They weren't making money off of us. Um, They not only had a lifetime of experience, but they had an eternity of experience, that they knew how we were made, that they could provide insight into how we handle the stuff of our life that transcended time right didn't matter what the economic circumstances were didn't matter what kind of culture you happened to live in didn't even matter how much you had made or didn't make in your lifetime but they just had this profound wisdom that if we listened to it it would make a huge impact in our lives well thankfully god knows we're humans and we do dumb with our money and he wants to provide some insight for us and so Through the teaching of Jesus Christ when he was on this earth, Jesus shared all kinds of wisdom about our stuff and our view towards things and money and treasure and stewardship and all those kinds of things. And so we begin a new series today just simply entitled Money Advice from Jesus. Now, I put a question mark on that because, you know, when it comes to things spiritual, we think, yeah, I'm going to listen to Jesus, right? I want to pay attention to him. But when it comes to money and finances and business and that stuff, that's not the spiritual realm. We don't tend to, most people, turn to Jesus Christ. But as we go, continue through the Gospel of Luke, which we're in this entire year, One of the things you discover is Jesus has a lot to say about stuff and money and finances and treasure. In fact, if you look, take all of the words that Jesus speaks that are recorded in all four Gospels, Jesus says more about how we handle our stuff and our perspective of stuff and treasures and those things. He says more about that than any other topic in all of Scripture, more than that. And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to, just in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to pull out just four passages of Scripture, four teachings from Jesus that he talks to us about our perspective and how we happen to handle our money. Now the question for all of us is this, as we read through this and study it together, the question is, will we listen to it, right? That's the million-dollar question for all of us in regard to the teaching of Jesus, I think after you discover what Jesus calls people who don't listen to him in Scripture, you you may want to pay a little bit more attention today. So we're in Luke chapter 12, so I want to encourage you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. And so the advice today is this, it's about how to be a fool with my money. And Jesus teaches us a very simple principle, a very simple truth. So when you go to the ATM and you get out money from your account, right? This is money from our account. This is technically my wife's money right here that I'm holding, okay? But when you get out money from your account, or you go and you spend money on something, or you, you know, buy something, or you pay a bill or something, but when we look and view the money that we have in our account, here is the mistake that most of us make. If we think this money belongs to us, here's the key today. If we think this money belongs to us, then what? Put that up for me, Dale, will you? You'll never enjoy it. You may have a lot of it. But you will never find any kind of peace in that. You may have none of it and chase after it. But if you think this belongs to you, that this is for you, for your enjoyment, then you will never, ever find enjoyment at all in it. So Luke chapter 12, I'm going to read beginning in verse 13. So I want to encourage you to take your Bible and turn there. Those of you who are online, open your Bible up. Those of you who are here, there's Bible and the seed underneath you. You can follow along on the screen. But here's Luke writing about a circumstance in Jesus' life. Verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, "'Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me.' And Jesus replied, "'Man, who, made, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you?' And then he said to them, "'Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions.'" And he told him this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? Um, Say that with me, what shall I do? He said, I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you've plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So the story begins here in this passage of Scripture with a demand, really. Some guy in the crowd who's unhappy about how financial things are happening in his family really makes a demand of Jesus. He says there in verse 13, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Tell him to divide the inheritance with me. Now, I have encountered, I think the worst kind of money issues tend to surround the death of someone and the inheritance of someone. I tell you, I've seen small amounts of money pull families apart, but Jesus doesn't get sucked into this. He doesn't take the bait of this guy. In fact, look what he says there beginning in verse 14. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he says to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Watch out. Be on your guard. Anytime you see Jesus use two different phrases that are really warning phrases, Watch out means be on constant vigilance. Be on your guard. In other words... This is phrased in such a way as that I'm not on my guard just once, but I must constantly, all of the time, be on my guard. So he uses these two phrases that are warnings to all of us. And whenever you see even one warning, you pay attention. But when he puts them back to back, it's like, yeah, I really need to pay attention. So what am I supposed to pay attention to? What am I supposed to watch out and be on guard against? Against all kinds of, oh, that was good really good there, right? Against all kinds of greed. Now, what is greed? What is greed? So I wonder if you recognize this particular couple here. Do you recognize these guys? Anybody know who that is? Anybody know the names? Lori, and his name is Mossimo. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Lori That she's from, uh, what is the show back in the day? Yeah, so um, they both stood before a judge indicted on what was it the college scandal kind of an issue, right? In fact, they both did prison time, if you want to call what they where they went prison, but anyway, they both did prison time. Paid hefty fines, had to do community service. But what was most interesting to me is when they stood before, during the hearings, they stood before U.S. District Judge Nathaniel Gordon. He talked to both of them. You know, judges can do just about whatever they want to, right? And this is what he said to him. He says, here you are, an admired, successful, professional actor with a long-lasting marriage, two apparently healthy, resilient children, more money than you could possibly need, a beautiful home in, a sunny, in sunny Southern California, a, a fairy tale life, yet you stand before me, a convicted felon, and for what? For the inexplicable desire to grasp even more. That's a great definition for greed. For the inexplicable desire to grasp even more. course it forces us to ask ourselves the question so am I greedy you know are you greedy so there was a Zogby poll that identified greed and materialism as the number one most urgent problem in America just right below it was poverty and um, justice issues but then the BBC took that a step further and they did a survey of some people About the seven deadly sins, seven deadly sins, let's see, I wrote them down because I can't ever remember them. Um, What are they? Anger, envy, gluttony, greed, lust, pride, and anybody know the last one? Sloth, there we go. Um, Sloth. So they asked this question, which sin have you ever committed and which sin have you committed in the last month? So it's the number one problem in America, but which do you think was the sin that everybody said, nah, I haven't committed that or in the last month? Which do you think was at the bottom of that list of the seven deadly sins? It was greed. I mean, In other words, greed's the biggest problem, but I, I, I'm not greedy, right? I, I'm not greedy. Who are the greedy people? Well, they're the filthy rich people, right? They're the major corporation people. They're the people with all the money. Those are the greedy people. Well, how do you define rich? Well, somebody's rich if they have a little bit more than me. I'm not rich. Somebody else is rich because they have a little bit more than me. And so this word greed that Jesus uses in this passage. So in Jesus' day... The philosophers use this word greed to describe this pursuit of other things as being empty. They use the word greed to mean empty. So why does Jesus say this is something that's to be guarded against? Well, look again there in verse 15. He said, Because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, That is not what we hear in our culture today. The more that you have, the more you can do, the more you can enjoy, right? But Jesus says life does not consist in abundance of possessions. That's why he warns us against this word called greed. So then he tells this story, tells us this parable. This is one of those kind of self-examination stories, right? This, this is one of those kind of self-examination kinds of parables that you have here. Now, as we consider this and we think about this whole concept of examining ourselves, be careful that you're not the brother, right? What did, what did the guy who talked to Jesus say? He pointed the finger and he says, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, right? So it's really easy to look around the room or look around your living room and point the finger at somebody else. They need to hear that. Tell them to pay attention to that, all right? So what I want you to do for me right now, even those of you at home, turn to the person next to you and say, this is for me, this is not about you, okay? Turn to the person next to you, come on. This is for me, this is not about you. Don't be the brother, It's easy to point the finger and say, well, this is for all those rich folk out there, right? No, this is for me. So what's the parable? So here's the parable, beginning in verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself... You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, for me, there's a little bit of envy in this. And it's okay to do the envy sin because we're not talking about that one. We're talking about the greed one, right? Okay, so we'll talk about envy later. But you look at this guy, and he's like, man, he's first rich, and then he has a Great sales year, right? He makes the, the, the farm does crazy, or he makes all these great sales. I mean, everybody's looking at this guy like, man, this guy is great. And he gets so much that he can say, you know what? It's time to retire early. I get to sit back and just enjoy all this stuff. I get to take life easy. And so there's a little bit of envy, at least with me in this, but he faces a predicament. And what's his problem? He's got more surplus than he has storage. He's got more grain than he has space for it. He's got a problem. And so he has to face this problem. He has to deal with this problem. And so he asks himself the question, what shall I do? What shall I do? And Jesus puts this question, and I think this is the most important question in the whole story. What shall I I do because he wants each one of us to ask that question of ourselves: what shall I do so say it out loud with me what shall I do now I don't want you to worry about that question anymore for a couple minutes okay just put it out of your mind set it aside don't even think about it we're going to go back to this guy and see what happens so don't worry about it don't even think about that question for a couple of moments all right so how does the guy answer this question well verse 18 This is what I'll do. He asks, what shall I do? This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, you've got plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Did you notice how much he talks about and refers to himself in this particular short sentence there? This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, and I will build bigger barns, and I will say to myself, in other words, where's the guy's focus? It is completely and totally on me, myself, and I. And we all have that kind of tendency, don't we? When you go to make some kind of major decision, especially if it has to do with money or finances and stuff, that pro-con list that we tend to make to help us think that through, Tends to sh- I tend to show up on a lot of that list, right? And it makes sense to that. But here's this guy. He's completely focused on himself. And so how does Jesus respond to this guy once he's made this particular decision? Verse 20. But God said to him, You fool. That's a very strong word. You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus calls him a fool. Why does Jesus call him a fool? Does he call him a fool because he's wealthy? Does he call him a fool because he's looking at maybe retiring? Does he call him a fool because he's paying attention to maybe his own future? Why does Jesus call this guy a fool? Now, in the Old Testament, the word fool would most often refer to one of two kinds of people. One person is the kind of person who doesn't even think about God. Either they don't believe in God or they just never bring God ever into the equation. The other kind of person who is a fool in the Old Testament is a person who just never listens to anyone who is wise, never listens to instruction. All right? So, Psalm chapter 14 and verse 1. The fool... Put that up there for me, Dale. Thank you. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So you know a fool when they say in their heart, there is no God. All right? That's the biblical definition of a fool. The next one is Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. The the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but notice this, but fools, what? They despise wisdom and instruction. A fool says, I don't want to listen to anybody else. I'm not going to listen to something that's wise. I'm not going to listen to other kinds of instructions, especially about my money. Why would I want to listen to God talk to me about my money? But why do you think, why do you think Jesus calls him a fool? What reason do you think he calls him a fool? And then, if Jesus saw how I handled my money or how you handled your money, would he call you a fool? Oh, by the way, he does know how I handle my money, doesn't he? Because he knows everything. Why does he call him a fool? The reason is because the guy makes a big error. He thought all of this stuff that he had was what? Was for him. For me, myself, and I. He thought that when he came to a place financially in which all of his goals had been reached, when his retirement account had reached the place he wanted it to be, when he had a place in which he had enough to live on, he thought to himself, my responsibilities have ended. I've taken care of myself. I have enough. I'm going to live this long. I have this much money. I'm good. He thought his responsibility had ended. He thought it was all simply for him. And what does Jesus say again, verse 20? You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. That word demanded is a very interesting word. It is really a finance word that describes um, it's time to pay your bill. It's, it, I'm, I've loaned you money, I've loaned you something, I'm the owner, and so I'm saying to you it's now time to pay your bill. It was demanded from him. What the fool didn't realize is that the stuff that he had was a trust from God, that he wasn't the owner, but somebody else was the owner. He thought his responsibilities had ended the moment that he had enough for himself, and he didn't realize that God holds our life in his hands. God is the one who holds your life and my life. My time, my life is in his hands. It's his call. It's his choice. Whether I believe him or not, in him or not, whether I know about him or not, my life is in his hands. And so his life was demanded from him. And so the, the, kind of the question is, if, if I'm foolish with the stuff that God has given me, does that mean God's going to call my number, right? And say, okay, Doug, your time's up. It's time to in this life on this earth? Is is that what he means? I think what he means is that there are consequences to the choices that we make with everything that we have, including the stuff that we have. That there are consequences to that. There's payment rendered. In other words, God is paying attention to what we do with the stuff that we happen to have. And so Jesus concludes the story in verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. You see, if you think that this stuff is for you, you're, you're never going to enjoy it. I'm, I'm never going to enjoy it. So let's go back to that question I said don't worry about thinking about, all right? So it's time to think about that. What, what shall I do How do I see the stuff that God has given me? Is it um, tools for me to use and to enjoy? Is it some other purpose that God happens to have in mind for me? You know, I think personally we have to reflect on that. That's why that question's in there. What shall I do? I think as a church, we have to reflect on that question as well. What am I supposed to do with what God has given me? So I want to avoid being the fool. So there's a couple of things here that... I think help us do that. Number one, I need to use my resources as tools of service for other people. Okay, If life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions, then why has God blessed me and given me the things that I have? What, what's the reason? Why is God? To, if life doesn't consist in the abundance of those kind of things, then he has something else in mind, and so what has that thing in mind? See, the farmer made the mistake. He thought his responsibilities had ended because... I have enough to be able to make it to the end of my life. i got a lot of life left. i got a lot of time left. Now i got a lot of money left, and life is good for me. But he was bad at math because God says, No, no, you don't have that much life left. His, his mistake was he thought that all of that was just simply for him. He didn't realize that it was a trust that God had given to us, all the things that we happen to have. In fact, nowhere... Does our responsibility ever end to be caring for the needs of other people around us? Never. We don't get to retire from being good to other people and being compassionate to other people and being caring to other people. It doesn't matter how old we are, how long we've been retired, how much we have, how much we don't have. We don't get to retire from being helpful to the needs of other people and so we need to learn to use our resources as tools of service for other people and the second thing is this we need to prioritize being rich towards God we need to put that at the top of the list being rich towards God so again, what does Jesus say in his conclusion, verse 21? This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. I like how Eugene Peterson in The Message puts it. He says, that's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. So rich towards God, what, what does that mean? How, how am I rich towards God? Well, it's understanding what God values and what's important to God, which means i got to learn about that, and I learned that through His Word. But then it's taking the benefits and the blessings and the things that God has given to me, and it's using it in a way that honors Him. That's being rich towards God, spending time getting to know Him and who He is, and then honoring and valuing the things that He honors and values with what we happen to have. See, this is not a condemnation for storing up things, okay? Jesus is not saying don't have a you know, 401K, don't save for your kid's college future. What he's saying is, is if that's all that's your priority, if you're only thinking about you and yours, he said you're never going to enjoy those kinds of things. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. In fact, all throughout Scripture, Jesus talks to us about other people, right? It's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, offering a cup of cold water, making sure that we meet the needs of widows and orphans, whether they're you know near to us or in our church family or they're immigrants from somewhere else. It's about taking care of the needs of other people. In fact, when it comes to the church family, John himself talks to us about if I have something and I see a brother or sister who's in need, and I say, be warm and well-fed, but I do nothing about those needs. You know what John says? How can the love of God be in you? Why do we think God has blessed us so much in this life? Is it just for us, just for our enjoyment? To be rich towards God is to recognize that I am a conduit of God's blessings to people all around us. You know, a neighbor, somebody in my church family, somebody in my community, somebody in my state, somebody in the world that God says use what you have to be a blessing to other people. So how do you use, how do I use the things that God has blessed me with? It's a pretty objective answer, okay? Sounds subjective, it's not. Because the things that God has given to me fall under two basic categories, my time and my talents, right, my treasure. i got time, I look at my calendar, how do I spend my time? I look at my bank account, how do I spend my treasure? If it's only all for me, if I don't ever do anything for anybody else, Jesus speaks very clearly to that in this particular parable. But you and I need to reflect, right, on... Those two pieces, my calendar and my bank account, and say, How much of this am I using for me and myself and I? And what portion am I using for God? Because the more we step into God and being rich towards God and seeing our lives as a conduit for God, the more God entrusts us with the things of this world because He knows. We're faithful with those. We use those for his good and for his glory. And how do we as a church use those resources? Here in uh, three or four weeks, we're going to be uh, uh, voting on a budget for this next year. And an important question for us to ask is, what portion of that budget are we using just for us, right, while we're Christian church, and what portion of that are we using to meet the needs of others around us? bottom line from Jesus is if you and I think that this is for us, for our enjoyment, we'll never enjoy it. If we think that this is only for me, if I only ever view my stuff as my stuff, I will never, ever enjoy it. But when I open my heart, God does amazing things in and through us. What shall I do? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for... Your your abundance that you've shared so freely with me, with this church family, Lord, you're so very good to us that we have the freedoms, the privileges, the blessings in so many different ways. And so, Lord, help us today to ask ourselves that question, what shall I do? Because, Lord, we are so dependent upon you. We need you, Father. And we want to follow you in all things. And so, Lord, we turn our hearts, we turn our lives to you this day. And so, Father, help us to see how you want to use us to make an impact in the lives of others. And it's in your most precious name we pray. Amen.